This podcast is proudly supported by CareerFax. The team at CareerFax is just as passionate about connecting people with the right course as you are. As Australia's number one careers and course search site, CareerFax attracts over 12 million visitors a year and have partnered with over 50 leading providers. Want to increase your student enrolments? Head to careerfax.com.au, your partner in student acquisition. Wow, what a time to decide to talk about international education. Uh, But before I jump into uh, the theme of uh, this uh, episode of the podcast, firstly, um, a couple of apologies. Uh, My voice, as you can tell, is a bit croaky, so uh, bear with me and apologies on that. Secondly, um, I did have two fabulous women lined up as guests for the show, Uh, but as sometimes happens, life got in the way for one of them. There were sick children, uh, who I think are hopefully now much better, uh, delayed planes and engineers on board looking at various things, uh, and, and a raft of other work commitments on both sides that got in the way of Rebecca Hall from Austrade and I being able to, to sit down. So we'll make this part A of a chat on international education and we'll uh, look to invite Rebecca on when hopefully life is a little bit crazy, less crazy uh, for both of us. So in this episode, part A of a chat on international education, I'll take you through some of the international education data for both the vet and higher education sectors and consider how that stacks up against the media reports that we've been reading recently, claiming particularly that there are too many Chinese students in Australia. I'll then chat to another wonderful woman who works in the international education sector, Katie Taylor, who leads government engagement for Navitas, uh, which most of you will know as Australia's largest international education provider and an organisation with a truly global footprint. Um, Katie has really deep familiarity with the sector and I certainly enjoyed the, the discussion that we had um, about what's happening and the, the trends that uh, that she foresees in the future. Before I plunge into the data and my analysis of it, if you haven't read it yet, one of the best um, articles in the um, papers in recent weeks has been an op-ed piece by Laurie Piercy from UNSW Global. It's a fantastic and thoughtful piece on how we might better engage all international students uh, in our universities and I would suggest also in our in our VET providers. I've um, included a link to it uh, in the episode notes. If you um, haven't uh, seen it and read it, I would certainly encourage you to do so. And uh, a quick note about China before we start to talk about uh, Chinese students and claims there are too many of them studying in Australia. I've been lucky enough to have visited China many times in the last decade, and I've been to plenty Tier 2 and Tier 3 cities, not just the global cities of Shanghai and Beijing. I love the country, and I am always struck by the kindness and the warmth um, of the people that I meet with. I think it is a wonderful thing for Australia that so many Chinese parents value the education that their son or daughter 
uh, can receive in Australia. And I really think we need to keep that in mind. Uh, this is about people and this is about life opportunities. And for most Chinese families who are sending uh, their children for education, they are sending only one child. They have enormous hopes uh, wrapped up in their, in their children, as we all do. Um, and we need to think about the impact of the discussions that uh, have been had in the media on both the students who are studying here and their families uh, at home. I do think it's an important conversation that we need to have in the sector. I do think greater diversity across our um, higher education and vocational education and training is important, um, but I think as, as educators we need to be thinking about uh, the students and, and their families at the same time. So, with all of that uh, to start with... As a country that prides itself on the international education that it offers, I think the question is not do we have too many of one particular group of students, but rather are we attracting a sufficiently diverse mix of students? There's obvious benefits for our own um, local students when they study alongside students from other countries and international students who come to, an, come to Australia are looking for an Australian education experience, not to be in classes predominantly of people from their own countries. And with a high proportion of students uh, coming from a small number of countries and many of them enrolling in the same courses, this is a particular challenge for us. And again, that's where I'd really encourage you to read Laurie Piercy's piece uh, if you haven't yet. Student satisfaction rates for both our local and international students uh, remain high and graduate outcomes are good and I think we also need to have that in our mind as, as we have this conversation. My analysis, and it's in the news site, uh, news section of my website, um, if you want to, if you're a visual data person, shows that 83% of international students in Australia in higher education come from just 10 countries. And those countries are China, 38%, India, 20%, Nepal, 8%, and then the remaining seven countries in the top 10 all contributed 5% uh, of students or fewer, and they are Vietnam, Malaysia, Pakistan, Sri Lanka, Indonesia, Hong Kong, and Singapore. Students from 190 other countries collectively accounted for just 17% of all international student enrolments in higher ed. In the vet sector, the picture is similar, but surprisingly more, slightly more diverse. In vet, we have 71% of all students coming from the top 10 countries, and those figures are India, 14%, Nepal, 11%, although that figure will obviously drop given the recent uh, government visa changes. China, 9%. Brazil, 8%. South Korea, 6%. And the remaining five countries in the top 10 each contributed 5% or fewer students. And they are Thailand, Malaysia, the Philippines, Colombia and Indonesia. And students from 190 other countries in VET accounted for 29% of 
of all enrolments. So that's obviously a better mix, but I still think it's worth educators in both sectors looking at how we can reduce our reliance on students from our top 10 source countries and how we can attract more students from other places. Another observation I would make is I do wonder why enrolments by overseas students in our TAFE sector have declined at a time when they've grown in the university and private higher education sector and in the private vet sector. There's some really great people involved in international education in TAFE, as there are in all other parts of the sector. So I'm really surprised that TAFE's share of international enrolments in VET have declined and are now only at 6%, which is about half what it was a decade ago. And enrolments have actually dropped in actual numbers as well, down by 8% or 1,000 students in the last four years. And I think that's a shame for um, international students coming to Australia, as well as for TAFE students losing the opportunity to study alongside um, students from across the globe. So that's quite a bit uh, to start you off to think about in different parts of the sector. Again, I would reiterate, I think we need to have that conversation by making sure that while we continue to value the contribution international students make to our sector, we need to think about it in much more than purely monetary terms, but also the life experiences that they bring. And let's make sure that local students and their families recognise that international students aren't taking other students' places and will not only add to the learning experiences of um, our campuses here in Australia, but will offer the opportunity for lifelong friendships and potentially even business contacts um, in the years ahead. So with that in mind, time now to talk to one of the experts in the sector about what she sees um, from her perspective, Katie Taylor from Navitas. Katie, it's great for us to have you um, on the podcast with your experience uh, in the sector and with your current role. And you and I have known one another for a, a number of years, and I know that you're very well known in the sector. But just in case there are a small number of people listening to the podcast who don't know you, would you mind giving us a little bit about your background in the sector and also a bit about Navitas? It's a, it's a very large provider. And just let us know a little bit about you know, its size and, and scale in terms of the, the work that, that Navitas does. Sure. Thank you, Claire. And thank you very much for having me on. It's a real privilege to join you. In terms of my background, I, as you say, I have been working in the sector for some time and I've had the great privilege of working across government and in the sector. So I spent about a decade working on policy and programs in the international group of the Commonwealth Department of Education. Um, and then I spent a couple of years um, working on um, in Austrade's international education team, and during that time, uh, it, I had the again a privilege of working on AIE twenty twenty five. So, for those in the sector, that you'll know that that's the market development plan out to twenty um, twenty twenty five for international education in Australia. 
Um, and after that experience, I got to know some fantastic people here in Navitas and I joined Navitas uh, going on three and a half years ago. So, um, and I've been leading their government relations um, and stakeholder engagement work since that time. So that, that's me. But in terms of Navitas, um, as you say, Claire, we are one of the probably the largest international education providers here in Australia, but also globally. So we operate in higher education, in vocational education uh, and ELICOS in terms of international education here in Australia. Um, and we do that across a couple of divisions. We have the University Partnerships Division, which we work funnily enough, in partnership with a number of Australian universities all around the country. Again, predominantly in international education, teaching international students that then transition into our partner universities in their second year of their degree. But we also have the careers and industry division and we work in creative media, human services, those um, counselling, psychology, those kinds of fields. And we are also increasing the number of international students in those colleges in Australia. Our business, as I said, is around the world. So we work um, across the UK and now in Europe, um, North America, Canada and the US university partnerships. And we also have our creative media colleges around the world as well. And finally, I just mentioned that we also have a rather large recruitment arm, if you like. We recruit on behalf of our partner universities and so we have a really large presence in all the major source countries and great networks across our across the agent network um, in those countries. Thank you. That's um, really comprehensive, and it reiterates why you were one of the perfect people uh, to invite on today and have a chat about international education. So, given your diverse experience and the different kinds of work that uh, Navitas does. Can you talk us through some of the trends that you've seen in the sector in the last few years? Yeah, we've seen some really interesting things happen across the sector, both here in Australia and globally, informed by some work we've actually done on, uh, through a grant with, through the Australian government through the Enabling Growth and Innovation Program with both Austrade and NAUS Group. We've seen that there are definitely shifts and uh, changes in global student flows depending on, particularly on policy, on, on student visa policy settings. It really is quite clear that the UK and the US, um, because of their particular macro national visa settings, have some declines in their growth numbers. But we've seen Canada and ourselves, and probably to a lesser extent New Zealand, benefit from that on a, on a macro level. The biggest markets for international education are obviously China and India. There are so many students out of those countries wanting a fantastic education. They want it, uh, an education in English and they want to come to some really highly regarded institutions um, that you, you do get access to, obviously, in places like um, UK, US, Canada and Australia. So um, that's at a macro level. I think here in Australia, we've seen some really interesting trends in terms of if we go back, for those who've been in the sector for a while, there was a perfect storm around 2008, 9 and 10, where we had some really unfortunate things occur in terms of personal attacks on Indian students, but also we had we were seeing some not fantastic behaviour on behalf of some providers, particularly in the vet sector at that time. 
the, the growth and the, you know, the trajectory of the sector till that point was actually, you know, it was steaming ahead. And we've had, we had a bit of a bust at that time, but you will see that in fact, overall, we're actually now recovered from that, that, that lull. The, the complexion, if you like, and the makeup of the sector has really shifted. So there is, in, at that time, the growth was really being driven by the vocational sector. But now um, we see growth in higher education and particularly where we're seeing it, obviously, in terms of the postgraduate programs, particularly postgraduate coursework. The, the number of undergraduates to postgraduate um, mix in higher education actually did cross over a couple of years ago in terms of postgrads out, outnumbering the undergrads. So there's some sort of yeah, high-level observations, Claire, of what we've seen in terms of trends. Terrific. Thank you. Um, and I knew that postgrad had been increasing, but I hadn't actually, because uh, I don't focus too much on, on postgrad in terms of what I look at, I hadn't realised that it had actually um, overtaken um, undergraduate enrolments. That's definitely something that is useful for me to be uh, to be thinking about when I think about the entirety of the, the higher education sector. So thank you for those uh, observations. And I do love the fact that, like me, you're a data nerd. So based on the data that you've seen and the experiences that you've had and uh, your networks, what trends do you think we'll see in the coming few years? I think um, that we actually are seeing some shifts in the market and it is and it is a market. It will, you know, uh, behave differently at different times. For example, um, one of the, my favourite data sets, Claire, as you say, we're both data nerds and we love looking at data, um, is the offshore visa grant data. Now, this is a data set that the Department of Home Affairs make available to the sector and, in fact, anyone else who's wanting to have a look at it. I like particularly the offshore visa grants because really that is the new students into our market. They're, they're the new students coming to Australia and it is really our best lead indicator in terms of what's happening in the sector. And we see that, in fact, while we are still growing in the sector, there is some slowing of growth, in fact. And I don't, I actually don't think that that's a bad thing. And in fact, we see some slowing of growth in some key markets that in fact will actually probably be helpful um, as we go forward. And I can talk a bit to that in a moment. For example, higher education offshore visa grants uh, are actually only growing at 7%. That is the same amount of growth as the year before. So in, and, and these are financial year, Claire. So 2018-19, and this is to the end of June, um, higher education offshore visa grants grew at 7%. And that's maintained the same level of growth as the year before. We see, for example, in vocational education and training offshore visa grants that actually there's been a slight slowing. So in 17-18, in the rate of growth was actually 9%, but this year it's slowed to 7%. So Still growth, but the, as you can see, the nature of the growth in terms of sector, the sectors is slowing. And overall, we see that offshore visa grants are about 4% growth, and that was just off 3% um, the year before. But what, one of the other things that we're seeing in terms of citizenship grants, Claire, is a slowing of growth from our biggest market. So in terms of China... The percentage change to 2018-19 was actually, we're seeing a 10% reduction in that market. So we are then seeing uh, an inverse 
um, increase in um, trends out of India. So they're now they're now growing at 28% last year compared to 14% the year before. We've seen, I think, a moderation in the growth rates of out of Nepal. So it's it was flat at 0% growth um, compared to 9% the year before. And in terms of Brazil, actually, which is another major source market, it's our fourth largest in terms of offshore visa grants. We've actually seen quite a sharp decline. So that market is slowing. But another Latin American country, Colombia, has actually increased 30%. So you can see even from what those numbers, there's going to be some shifts that will flow through to the broader market. And you can even see it, Claire, the last point I'll make on this is um, you can even see it in the proportion of the overall offshore visas granted. China this year was 22% of that mark, of that cohort. Last year it was 25%. Um, India is 17% of that cohort, but last year was 14%. And with those, um, we've seen a slight decline from Nepal. Um, and in terms of Brazil and Colombia have basically held their sort of market share, if you like, in terms of offshore visa grants. That's fascinating. Thank you. Um, and it is an important data source and good on the, the department for making that, that data available because it does give that extra insight. Um, as you say, those are lead indicators that signal the kinds of, of changes we'll see in terms of flowing through to eventual uh, student enrolments in the sector. So thank you. That's really important. As we have the conversations about diversity within the sector, um, where we're recruiting students from um, and the experiences that they have while they're here studying with us. Last question for you. Uh, if Navitas was able to say, government, here are the things that we think you really need to do to make international education better, what would be on the list? <laughs> um, this is great, actually, Claire. And I think um, Navitas, we're, we're very lucky and we, we feel very strongly that the, the current government, from the Prime Minister down um, to Minister Tian, Education Minister, Minister Coleman, Minister for Immigration, are huge supporters of our sector, and they have been for a long time. And indeed, both both sides of politics seen the incredible benefits that have flowed through um, to the economy, but also to our communities that international education brings. So they are working with us every day. And in fact, you know, I, I hear often Minister Coleman, for example, and he made it recently at a speech at the Sydney Institute, the point that international education is a 30, I think we actually ticked over to $38 billion Claire, yep. in, in yep. 1819. She makes the point that we're a $38 billion export industry and, you know, those really traditional Australian, if you like, um, exports of beef and wheat are dwarfed by international education. So they, they make that point and they, they are fully behind it. But as you know, Claire, I'm always willing to make some suggestions back to government about how we, um, <laughs> we all can work better, sector and government together like I think we need to actually work together and have some have some conversations about some of the issues that are arising I think there's some really engaged people and informed people in the sector who could look at some of the issues around market diversification around what we might do um, in terms of ensuring that the quality of the experience but also of the outcomes of international students when they come to Australia on that though I would say that we have we our students actually 
consistently have a great experience when they are in Australia. Our international student survey that's run by the Department of Education every couple of years shows that through and has over a long period. Better and more consultation. I think mm-hmm. the other two points I'd make are around regulation. I think we in international education we're actually regulated by a number of different entities, you know, TEXA and ASQA have a role, as does the Department of Education as the lead agency on ESOS. And so do the Department of Home Affairs in terms of our immigration um, integrity. I'd love to see those agencies work more closely together and indeed have some accountability around their sharing of their internal data. I know they do it to an extent. When you start to overlay the different data sets that are available, you would be able to see pretty quickly, I would imagine, (laughs) where some of the pinch points and where some of the red flags are in our sector. And then... I would, yes, then we would like to see, you know, them then action that um, mm-hmm. in an appropriate, being driven by the data. <laughs> yes. Um, leads me to my third and final point, which is always, um, and I often talk about this, Claire, as you know, which is better access, more regular, timely access to data um, for the sector so that we can all make better informed decisions about not only those students that we're recruiting and if we're talking in terms of immigration, but also in terms of where we invest in it in future markets from an Austrade perspective. But also if we can knit together some of these data sets, I think we'd have a really clear picture about the quality story here in Australia as well. Fantastic. That's a lot to to think about, but it certainly does reflect, uh, I've certainly heard you make a number of those points um, uh, previously, and, and I think there'd be strong support within the sector for the kinds of um, suggestions that you've made. Uh, Katie, it's always um, a pleasure to talk to you. I always feel like I, I learn a lot from it. For people who are going to the upcoming AIEC conference in a few weeks' time, uh, they should look out for you. I think you've got a couple of different sessions that you're speaking at uh, at there. Um, thank you again for making the time to talk to us. Um, it's been a great pleasure. You're very welcome, Claire. Thanks, thanks for having me on. And with that, we're almost at the end of another episode. Let me apologise again. My voice has been a little bit uh, all over the place, uh, particularly a few questions uh, with Katie, so sorry for that. Um, I hope you've enjoyed part A of our discussion about international education. And as I say, we'll uh, reschedule with Rebecca as soon as we can. And um, and you'll see that in your podcast feed, um, hopefully uh, in the not too distant future. If you want to share your ideas, you'll find me on Twitter at Seafield and Associates. I'm on LinkedIn and you can also find Clearfield and Associates on Facebook. Uh, Lastly, don't forget to rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts from. It does help people find the show and it tells me what you want more of. If you subscribe to the show in your podcast feed, it will automatically load the next episode as soon as I've got it available for you. And as I said, we might have uh, a couple this coming month uh, rather than having to wait till the end of the month. So thank you again for joining me for this episode of What Now, What Next? Insights into Australia's tertiary education sector.